0: Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The Local Station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with The Local Station.
1: Hello there and thank you for joining us today for another episode of Going Ringside. I'm your host Scott Johnson. This is episode 32 if you are keeping count uh so glad you could be with us today as i've always said since the show started please continue to spread the word about the show to any wrestling fans you may know any online wrestling groups we're still trying to get the word out that going ringside is out here um And last episode was uh, really an important episode, one that we wanted to do because it was really timely, and that was the mass layoffs at WWE. Uh, You can go back and listen to episode 31 right now, wherever you get your podcasts, or on YouTube, as well as our uh, home station website, news, the number 4JAX.com. That was an important one because there have been so many structural changes within WWE. post-merger with UFC. And now that things are changing, in that episode, we talk about the possible future of Vince McMahon. Now, there's been speculation that the corporation may be laying the groundwork for his eventual departure. We're still monitoring that. Some high-profile layoffs, um, including Matt Riddle, who's had a lot of drama in the last week or so. His video of him in a New York airport is surfaced by TMZ um, because there was a lot of talk about him making allegations that he was sexually assaulted by a um security guard or a police officer at the airport now there there's been video released by tmz of him belligerent um talking in the speaker on at the airport just uh some more drama in that story but matt riddle one of the high profile uh firings at wwe a couple other notable names let go shelton benjamin Dolph sigler we of course are monitoring where they go from here so go back and check out episode 31 right now if you want to um See what we talked about there, and uh, once again, also check us out on go, at Going Ringside on both TikTok and Instagram. We are putting exclusive content there every day. Some stuff from the podcast here, some wrestling news that we're not putting here, uh, and you can only see there at TikTok at Going Ringside as well as Instagram. Give us a follow there. Just stuff every day with the latest developments going on in the wrestling world and what we talk about here on the podcast as well. Kind of excited about today's episode. We have two very well-known, great, longtime wrestlers. One, a, a ring legend in Kevin Sullivan, retired now, but did a lot uh, through the 1970s all the way through the 1990s doing uh, wrestling here in Florida, and then eventually on to World Championship Wrestling, where he was a fixture for so many years. We're also talking to Bobby Fish, a guy still at the top of his game He's been in NXT, he's been Ring of Honor, he's been AEW. He's working the independent circuit right now. Bobby Fish, a nationally, globally known name, been doing a lot for many years, and we'll get to him later, later on on the show. Uh, but I want to start with Kevin Sullivan. Uh, the Master of Darkness was kind of his character, Um, Lord of Darkness was kind of his character. Before The Undertaker, I don't know if you remember The Undertaker in the late 1990s when he started his ministry of darkness and he was this hooded, shrouded, almost demonic character. Well, he wasn't the first to do that. Kevin Sullivan really um, was doing that a lot. So let's talk about Kevin Sullivan. So Kevin Sullivan started his career in the 70s not as well known through the duration of the 1970s working the territory system doing a lot in florida and georgia championship wrestling throughout the nwa Um, but he really started to make his name here in florida and championship wrestling of florida which is where guys like dusty rhodes were of course well known and eddie graham so he adopts his character called the prince of darkness kind of an occult, kind of a cult leader. Um, think Undertaker and Ministry of Darkness, think Bray Wyatt back when he was due at the Wyatt family. Kevin Sullivan was kind of doing that back in the day. had a lot of guys he worked with there. Um, He he feuded with Dusty Rhodes, Barry Windham, um, and he had guys like um, Bob Roop and Luna Vashon, maniac Mark Lewin. And and I had to kind of look this up because I didn't know a lot about his independent days. I'd seen rumblings of it on the internet on like classic wrestling sites for years Uh, but i I wasn't watching championship wrestling in florida but i was noticing kevin sullivan in the 1980s when he eventually went to jim crockett promotions early wcw nwa the stuff you would watch on wtbs each week and that's when sullivan really started to become nationally known Um, and eventually he he got away from the kind of occult leader gimmick and started something new. He started the Varsity Club with two up and coming wrestlers at the time who obviously stuck around a long time and became very well known, Rick Steiner as he was brand new and Mike Rotunda. Rick Steiner went to University of Michigan. Mike Rotunda went to Syracuse. Kevin Sullivan had a college pedigree. So they started this very successful stable called the Varsity Club. Sullivan was kind of a pseudo manager, third wrestler in the group, and they would capture the tag team titles. They were a very good stable for a while. Sullivan would be there, and he helped really um, bring Rick Steiner Um, and Mike Rotunda into kind of the mainstream wrestling consciousness. Eventually, Rick Steiner went on to, you know, bring in his brother Scott. They started the Steiner brothers. Mike Rotunda um, had been kind of back and forth. He was related to Barry Windham um, and eventually did go over to WWF and became IRS later on. But this is really when those two guys alongside Sullivan really got known by a national audience. Eventually, he kind of adopted kind of the cult gimmick again, Um, feuding after Varsity Club broke up. He had guys like Cactus Jack, Buzz Sawyer, I think Bam Bam Bigelow for a while, feuding with them. And then eventually he left World Championship Wrestling, only to return in a very high-profile gimmick in the mid-1990s to the end of the Nitro era. So Kevin Sullivan comes back and starts what a lot of wrestling fans look back at as one of the hokiest stables of all time. I actually liked him. He was kind of the founder of the Dungeon of Doom. So the Dungeon of Doom was essentially the stable that feuded with Hulk Hogan. and Macho Man Randy Savage. So when Hulk Hogan came to WCW for the first time and really put WCW on the map as a competitor of WWF at the time, now WWE, Hulk Hogan needed monsters to feud with. Now if you remember Hulk Hogan in the late 1980s, who was Hulk Hogan best at feuding with? He was good at feuding with monsters, larger than life characters who were just 400 plus pound guys. Think King Kong Bunny, think Andre the Giant, think Big John Stud, Earthquake, one-man gang. That's kind of who Hulk Hogan had been conditioned to feud with. He would come and he would take on the big monster. He'd always pretend like he was going to press him above his head. So essentially, Kevin Sullivan, through the booking there, kind of developed the stable of these monsters (coughs) for Hulk Hogan to feud with. He brings in... (coughs) a version of the one man gang. He brings in Earthquake, John Tenta calls him Shark because they couldn't keep the Earthquake gimmick and they had some other gimmicks for him that were similar to his old Earthquake gimmick. Brings in Hulk Hogan's running buddy and Brutus Beefcake calls him the Booty Man and some other hokey gimmick Zodiac. We're going to talk to Brutus um in an upcoming episode about that. And um, They had a very large stable. Kamala was brought in. Barbarian Ming, they were the faces of fear. The Yeti, if you remember, was this hokey gimmick. When when you think the sites like wrestle crap, a lot of it was the Dungeon of Doom. And Kevin Sullivan was kind of the leader of the faction. Now I talked to Kevin about the Dungeon of Doom. He acknowledges that a lot of people make Dungeon of Doom, make jokes about the Dungeon of Doom, but he also said they were very successful. Because essentially, they were a nemesis for Hulk Hogan. And as much as people give Hulk Hogan a hard time, particularly in WCW, he was the reason people were tuning in. People were bringing home paychecks because viewers were tuning in to watch Hulk Hogan. We talked to Kevin a lot about in this interview coming up. So that was one of his big moments. In fact, there's a clip, I should have pulled it and I didn't, of him on Baywatch, back when Hulkster and Macho Man did did a guest spot on Baywatch with Pamela Anderson. Well, Kevin Sullivan comes on the show with Ric Flair and Vader, and Kevin Sullivan is on that episode of Baywatch. So as things change, because the NWO is eventually brought in, as we know very famously, Hulk Hogan eventually left his feud with the Dungeon of Doom when Holland Nash showed up, and he became the third man in in the NWO. And once the NWO, Holland Nash, and the New World Order, and Bischoff took over, the company changed. The Dungeon of Doom was essentially put out to pasture. They weren't needed anymore, because the main stable that everyone in the wrestling world was talking about was the NWO. So what's Kevin Sullivan left to do? he starts some other feuds. And one is an interesting feud that has had the wrestling world talking for 30 years because it involved Chris and eventually Nancy Benoit. In the mid-1980s, Kevin uh, Sullivan married a younger woman named Nancy Tuffolini and they were married for a while. And eventually, by the mid-1990s, when Chris Benoit was part of the Four Horsemen with Flair and Arn Anderson and the NWO showed up, they started this feud between Sullivan, and they kind of broke kayfabe a little, broke, broke down the wall and showed that Sullivan and, and Nancy, ben, eventually Benoit had a relationship. And they started, this, get, they started this feud on camera where Kevin and Chris were feuding, and they, they made it appear like um, Nancy was having an affair with Chris and leaving Kevin. And then in real life, that did happen. Nancy, uh, Sullivan divorced Kevin and eventually married Chris Benoit. And a lot of people for years have said Kevin Sullivan, quote, booked his own divorce. They started this storyline about, uh, kind of a love triangle with him, Nancy, his wife, and Chris Benoit. But in real life, he gets divorced to Nancy and Nancy remarries Chris Benoit in real life. So people have said Kevin booked his own divorce. So I asked Kevin about that, because I wanted to kind of set the record straight because it's been internet lore for all these decades. You'll want to hear what he says about that angle. Of course, Nancy Benoit and Chris Benoit um, are a famous episode, um, of a famous instance. In, and I want to—I should have had it ready for you right now. We covered the um, Chris Benoit murder-suicide um on Going Ringside a few months ago, and I want to get you the episode number ready, uh, episode 11. If you want to know all about the Chris and Nancy Benoit murder-suicide, go watch episode 11 of Going Ringside right now. Sorry, I didn't have that number ready for you when we started the show here. Um, But I asked him about that because this was, the murder-suicide probably happened about a decade after he divorced Nancy. And I asked him and I get his, you know his thoughts on on one of the most tragic maybe the most tragic incident in, in wrestling history and that was when in 2007 very very famously chris benoit um killed nancy and their seven-year-old son daniel and then took his own life it was probably the biggest tragedy in pro wrestling history wanted to get kevin's perspective kevin had been divorced from nancy for 10 years at this point they had, you know very much apart but you know obviously he had been married to her and and there had been talk that he booked his own divorce so you want to hear you want to listen to what kevin has to say about that very sensitive subject in the wrestling world but kevin sullivan and then he you know he's kind of in retirement now i met up with him here in florida at the river city wrestling con event earlier this summer that's where we talked and kevin's been kind of enjoying retirement lives in the northwest i believe he started a a podcast um, that he's been doing and we'll talk about that a little after the interview with Kevin. Um, but here's our interview with Kevin Sullivan, longtime wrestler, longtime promoter, longtime backstage hand, about his life in the business, about his time with the varsity club, about his time feuding with Hulk Hogan, the Chris and Nancy Benoit issues. Here's our interview with Kevin Sullivan. Well, we are overjoyed to be joined here by Kevin Sullivan, legendary wrestler, promoter, backstage hand everything, Kevin.
0: Well, thank you, Scott. It's great to be here. And uh this is probably the premier Comic-Con or RiverCon or whatever you want to call it, but this is the biggest event of the year. And you can see, you were here yesterday, how yep. many people came through. They have matches today, they had matches yesterday. It's it's a spectacular event.
1: So what have you been doing with your life lately?
0: Well, uh, I when I kind of stopped wrestling, I opened the largest gym in the Florida Keys uh, in Tavernier, but that's like saying you're the most popular guy in prison, because when I opened the gym, there was no chains. Okay. So uh, I was the biggest gym there, and uh, I ended up selling it after 10 years, and then I uh, sold the house, and we, my wife's family's from Pacific Northwest. So I ended up going to San Juan Islands, north of Seattle.
1: How did you start in the business? It was a long time ago.
0: Yeah, uh, I wasn't trained. I had wrestled amateur for 10 years. And I used to wrestle this guy. Great story. He, gra- he was from the DeBerry family in South Africa, the Diamond people. And uh, he went to Oxford and Harvard Business School. And he d- did uh, some um, male modeling for those Arrow shirts back in the day. Yeah. And he did uh, soap operas. But all he wanted to do was be a pro wrestler. But mm-hmm. it was beneath the station where he was in South Africa. Yeah. So he had ru- he had wrestled uh, for back in the day in independence, small areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, professionally and he was a very good amateur wrestler and he said to me would you like to try it? I said sure I'm not doing anything I'll give it a shot and I went up there and I had my first match in Montreal.
1: How did your national break come? When did you start going national?
0: Uh, Well I got kind of recognition when I came to Florida and then I was on the first wave of TBS that went okay. Nationwide. Back in the early
1: to mid '80s. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And so you were down here in Florida with Dusty and people like yeah, that. Yeah, I wrestled Dusty quite a bit. I wrestled Blackjack. I wrestled the great Barry Windham, who's here today, and I wrestled Andre the
1: Giant. So I had a very What was good it up. like? You're not a big guy. You and Andre. What was that like?
0: It was great. I mean, uh, I was 252 pounds at the time. I had been a power lifter and a bodybuilder, but he was very nice guy to me and it was amazing. People don't understand how big he is. I just saw something on YouTube where somewhere the WWE, I think they do it at WrestleMania. They bring this thing is put your hand next to Andre's. Yeah. Well. Uh, Brock Lesnar is a big guy. Yeah, 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 and he put his hand next to Andre's. He looked like a child That's how big the guy was any good Dusty stories back in the day. Oh, Dusty was Probably the premier at the time that he went to New York and was wrestling superstar Billy Graham Between him and Billy Graham. They were the biggest one two attractions in the world and Dusty was a fabulous performer, great mind, a genius,
2: if you will. Yeah. You know, uh, he, he was
1: and an amazing athlete. So, eventually you start doing the dark, demonic, yeah. satanic gimmick. Yeah. yeah, How did that come about? Well, MTV
0: had just started. Yeah. Billy Idol, White Wedding, okay. Thriller with Michael Jackson, the horror genre came uh, full circle, and then the, they were showing old movies of all the horror movies back in the day. So I just would sit there and watch them, and I write stuff down and incorporate my own stuff, and then I had been in. Uh, the East. Uh, I was in Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, and I we get out and go look at things. And I went to cave temples and uh, met some seafoods And I said I can incorporate this in some.
1: I think one of your. Areas where I think you really broke out nationally was the varsity club. Yeah, with Rotunda and Rick Steiner. How did that come about? Was it because of your background, amateur? No, it was Dusty's idea.
0: If you remember back then, there was some scandals in the college. Oh, okay. You remember there was uh, there was a lot of stuff going on back in the day, and uh, when you saw that. You saw two clean cut collegiate athletes at the top of the game, and then you see this crazed individual with a black robot. Well, you know they weren't hanging out to listen to him or to take. So uh, it was
1: a subliminal message. That's what Dusty was very good at. And so You do uh, throughout the WCW's glory days, Right, you're there, you do Varsity Club, and then they knock it, but you were over as the Dungeon of Doom being kind of Hulk Hogan's foil. Well, the reason why I was
0: writing the show at the time, the reason why I did the Dungeon of Doom was Hogan brought in his friends and the wrestling business was really changing it was getting more real
2: yeah
0: and the wrestling was coming back the technical wrestling and it wasn't that these guys weren't capable of doing it that were in the dungeon of doom because i had ming i had barbarian yeah i had conan i had a lot of f- fabulous wrestlers but I-, I knew i had to get them on the show so i lumped them all together so I could almost give it some kind of comical relief, and that was what Hogan had uh, thrived on in WWF at the time. It was big monsters, and I just made it a little bit more hokey.
1: What was Hogan like to work with
0: then? It was fabulous. I mean, I used to say to my kids, when you say prayers tonight, make sure you thank
2: Hulk Hogan for the way you live. (laughs) <laughs> because yeah. he was bringing in the checks.
1: Yeah. So there were a lot of knocks on Hogan during this time right. because he's the top guy, so everyone's going to knock him. Yeah. But he's the reason why you guys are essentially paying your bills. Yeah.
0: And the other thing is, I get a kick out of it. The young guys then were saying, "Oh, the old guys are hogging the spotlight; you can't get up." Those same guys are older guys now. Yeah. And they're on top. Yeah. Right? So. You get a different perspective as you get older.
1: One guy you mentioned I want to ask about, Ming, Haku. Is he as tough as everyone says? It's it's lower among wrestling fans. Well, I saw
0: two incidents in my life. Haku, Haku didn't drink. Okay. But when he drank, it was a whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And back in the day when we would go to Louisiana, and we go out in some of the counties, you could only buy beer at bars and take it out, right? There was no package stores. Yeah. So I had me, I believe, uh, Bobby Eaton, a couple of other guys in the car, but Ming was in the car. So I pulled up and I said, I'll go in and get the beer. When I walked in, by the time I got to go get the beer, I look over my peripheral vision, and Ming's got a triple Jack Daniels, and he swallows it. Uh oh. That's a dangerous thing. So then he goes and goes to play pool. And there was a bunch of uh, like rednecks. Yeah. One of them had a flannel shirt with the sleeves cut off, and he said a real derogatory statement to him. Okay. He said, We don't let. People of your background, background. Okay. Pl-
1: yeah,
0: play pool. So he he said, I'm playing pool. So when Ming grabbed the pool stick, guy came up and hit him in the back with the pool stick and the splinted. And when Ming turned around, you know, the hold he used to use on TV, the goozle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's real. When he got the guy in the throat, the, I thought it was like a wrestling match. The guy started to drop. Ming bit through his shirt and spit a piece of his back out. Oh, my God. Then another guy tried to sucker punch him, It bounced off his head. He grabbed the guy, and I thought that he was going to make out with him. He grabbed him in the back of the head, pulled him in, and bit his nose off. Oh my I said, God. it's time to get out. And I've heard Rock tell that story. Rock tells the same story? Yeah, on yeah. Jimmy Fallon. I saw it. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, yeah.
1: So he is just as bad as they say. Yeah, he, he's the baddest man on the planet. Yeah. So I got to ask you about what happened after all this with the angle with Nancy. Well, we had
0: been separated. Nancy for six and Chris months. Benoit, yeah, yeah. We were separated for six months. Uh, we, I was living in the Florida Keys at the time. Okay. She was living in Daytona. We knew we were going our separate ways, and I incorporated it into an angle
1: and with chris and people uh, people say you booked your own divorce is that not accurate no
0: if i i mean we're heading there i was not in the house for six
1: months and we were living our own lives was that hard story for you to watch 13 10 13 years later
0: what happened yeah the tragedy yeah of course i mean i spent a lot of nice years with her she was a wonderful Girl, and I don't think we'll ever really know what
1: happened. Sure, sure. So after WCW, did you go WWE at that point, Were you back No, State? I I
0: I was signed for three years, but I was signed to a uh, a contract for Turner, not for WCW. I was okay. in the office. So when they bought it, I got paid for three years, and went home and opened up the gym, and went fishing and diving, yeah. and raised the kids.
1: Yeah. Do you still stay active in wrestling at all? Yeah, I go to these quite a bit. It's
0: it's, it's great to get out and see the fans, and it's a whole different experience
1: now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kevin Sullivan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks. So we got Kevin Sullivan here. Love talking to Kevin. That was exciting. He had some great stuff. Before I get to it, though, I want to talk. Kevin's got a podcast out there, Taskmaster Talks. With Kevin Sullivan on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcast, uh, of course he was called the Taskmaster in The Dungeon and Doom. So Taskmaster talks with Kevin Sullivan. Go give go give it a, a, a listen. Uh, but a lot of good stuff in that interview. A few things, three things of note. First, the Ming Haku story about him biting a chunk out of a guy's back in a bar fight is one of the freakiest stories I've heard. Everyone talks in the wrestling world about how tough Haku or Ming is. Well, there's one story right there. We're going to be talking to Haku um, in an upcoming episode, and I'm going to ask him a little about this, so uh, you'll want to tune in for that. That'll be coming up in coming weeks. Um, The Hulk Hogan stuff I thought was really interesting, that he would tell his kids, you know, when you say your prayers at night, thank Hulk Hogan, you know, for all this stuff. Because Hulk Hogan is the reason in mid-1990s why WCW made the money it did. You can talk about other things going on, Sting, the Dungeon of Doom, Lex, Ric Flair, uh, NWO to a point, but that was kind of because of Hogan. But Hulk Hogan was the driving force from the early 90s. I think it was 94 when he showed up all the way through the NWO era. Uh, that is why guys were making money because all eyes were on Hulk Hogan when he showed up in WCW both as a babyface and then as an eventual heel with the w- with the NWO. So it's really interesting his perspective. He, even though on camera he was Hulk Hogan's biggest nemesis, he was throwing guys at him to take out Hulkamania backstage in real life he was really thankful for Hulk Hogan and what he brought to the company, particularly financially, because that's what it's all about, you know going in and making money for a living. These wrestlers were making money because Hulk Hogan was there. Interesting perspective. And then on the Nancy Benoit stuff, Nancy Sullivan, Nancy Toffolino, I think is um, her original maiden name, that uh, talking about, the people have said Kevin booked his own divorce in that love triangle involving Nancy and Chris Benoit. He said, that wasn't the case. Nancy and I were living separately. We knew we were going our separate ways. So he turned it into a wrestling angle. The wrestling angle did not cause the divorce, Kevin says. He says the divorce was already coming. He just uh, did a wrestling angle out of it. He was horrified by what eventually happened with Nancy and Chris, which you can check out episode 11, going ringside right now wherever you get your podcasts. So I wanted to thank Kevin for coming on the show, really interesting guy, Um, just so much history. But now I want to go from one bookend in this industry to the other, from Kevin, who is a historical figure in the 70s through the 90s, to a guy who's been big in the 2000s and is still going strong today, another guy we were excited to have on the show, and that would be Bobby Fish. Bobby Fish has been on the wrestling scene since the early 2000s. And he's been kind of all over the wrestling world. He's been in NXT, he's been Ring of Honor, AEW, uh, he's done stuff in Japan. And I think he's on the independent circuit right now. But he's one of those guys, very great worker, good on the mic, has a lot of abilities. And we were able to talk to him about what he's doing with his life right now. So before we get into that, I want to kind of talk about who Bobby Fish is, if you're not familiar. So he started in 2002. He would do a lot of territorial, regional stuff, more independent stuff. Um, But he started kind of getting on the radar in 06 when he started doing pro uh, pro wrestling Noah, That's a Japanese-based outfit with a pretty strong fan base. But Bobby Fish really became known, I would say, in 2012 when he got into Ring of Honor. I've talked to a lot of fans of Bobby Fish as a professional. prepared for this episode and they would tell me "You got to see his ring of honor stuff that's where bobby fish was really at his peak he was there about five years and did a lot there Um, and then he goes back to japan he's in new japan doing a lot there Uh, and bobby fish really became i think on the the radar of the mainstream national uh, fan base when he got into nxt he showed up in NXT in 2017, was there about four years. Uh, I think he had the tag championship uh, um, alongside his tag team partner. Um, he did, he feuded with Aleister Black, um, and he just had a good run in NXT for about four years. He eventually made his way to Jacksonville-based Ali wrestling, AEW, where we're at. Had about a year there, um, and he had some good feuds there with Sammy Guevara and others. Um, He's been done some stuff with Impact now. Uh, He's on the independent circuit. He's kind of one of those guys who's a great journeyman in the industry um, and at any moment could come in and be a major player in a federation or or a promotion. So we caught up with Bobby Fish. He's kind of all over the place. He's on the independent circuit right now, but he's a guy who could really show up at any time, any company. He's been through all of them, really all the main ones from the New Japan to the AEW, Ring of Honor, NXT, he's done a lot. So here's our interview with Bobby Fish. We're excited to be joined now by NXT, AEW, world known, Bobby Fish. Bobby, talk to me about what you're doing right now. Uh,
2: Right now, I'm watching some wrestling. Um, I got my table set up here. Uh, signing some autographs, meeting some people, um, just enjoying a, a good, wholesome wrestling vibe. Like it's just, this is the grassroots kind of stuff. And um, you know, this is this is the, the lifeline of what we know as modern day pro wrestling. What was your jump to go from this to being nationally known? Um, my first break was a company in Japan Called Pro Wrestling Noah, um, and then uh, Ring of Honor, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Eventually WWE. When I worked with uh, NXT, um, and then on to AEW. Um, I've really had uh, you know pretty much everything I could have asked for uh, in, in my career, and it was it was just
1: persistence really. What was NXT like? Any fun memories of NXT?
2: Oh God, yeah. I mean the takeovers were electric. Those were the pay-per-views that we had at the time. And um, I think with my time spent in this industry, there's pockets, windows of, of time that, that are exceptional, um, but nothing lasts forever, right? So every, everything that's good does eventually come to an end. Um, there was a moment in time where NXT was Man, it was just hitting on all cylinders.
1: And it's uh, some of the fondest uh, memories of my career. So we in our city here had Tony Khan start AEW. Yes, we were sir. part of AEW. What was AEW like?
2: I, AEW was a, a breath of fresh air, to be honest. Um, it was this, you know, startup company. Um, these weren't people that had been doing this, you know, for, for decades. It was a new thing nobody really knew uh where it was gonna go the founders of it outside of tony but the the boys um you know the matt and the nick jackson's the cody rhodes the um, hangman page those guys they were they were really just like almost outlaws and uh, i think there's something cool about that i think tony khan saw that and said okay I can get behind that and like you know I uh, my hats off to all of them because they're uh, they're just doing great stuff favorite feuds for you favorite guys you've competed with whole career Whole career? Uh, Matt and Nick are definitely up there to the young bucks yeah. um, Kyle and myself uh, as red dragon that was was really uh, a, a good time any of the war games matches that we did in NXT I, I'm very fond of. Um, the undisputed era. Um, we couldn't have hoped for a, a better combination coming into the company. So. I was actually waiting for somebody to tell me it was a, a rib and they were just teasing us when they put us together. Um, and it really just, you know, it was like not going to work anymore. It was somebody paid me to, uh, to hang out with my friends. Were you surprised how well NXT did because
1: it had been Raw SmackDown for so long and then NXT just comes out of nowhere and shocks the world?
2: I wasn't shocked because I, at that time, coming from Ring of Honor in New Japan, I would say that New Japan in years previous to that was like the critically acclaimed stuff. And then I watched as NXT started to take that spot. And so you had Finn Balor come into NXT and leave in New Japan. You had um, Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens. You had Sami Zayn. You had these guys. You had Shinsuke end up in this place, NXT, that nobody thought they would because it was WWE so to have them there it was like wow this this is the place to be and and the the takeovers were just the right amount it was you know packed arenas um well-told stories and maybe seven matches you know it wasn't overkill it wasn't it was it was a beautiful thing and like i said just a window in in the history of the business that i i think will uh You know it it will uh it will age well if our viewers want to follow you what's the best way to do it um i have a a podcast called the undisputed podcast with bobby fish um our video portion is on Premier streaming network um owned by Freddie prince jr and some others um i am also uh, bobbyfishapparel.com is is my merchandise uh website Um, the bobby fish on instagram the bobby fish on twitter and you know all the the bobby fish thank you so much for joining us today
1: i appreciate it we got bobby fish here Right there at the end. Uh, I really want to thank Bobby for coming on. We think he's going to be back here in Florida in coming months, so we hope to catch up with him again. But a lot of fun talking to him. The Undisputed Podcast with Bobby Fish. uh, Premier Networks has it, so uh, maybe give it a check out at some point. So we're really excited to have Bobby on. He is one of those guys. uh, Great perspective. I liked what he said about AEW. And the founding of it it was almost like you had these outlaw wrestlers and Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes at the time. uh, And Tony Khan saw that and decided we could start something. So uh, really interesting there. And talking about that, those real glory days of NXT when he was in it with the takeovers, war games, just so much fun there. Uh, Bobby Fish, just a guy who has done it all. Uh, He said he's accomplished all his dreams, and and he's still a relatively young guy and probably will be doing a lot more. Um, But he's on the independent circuit right now. So we're so excited to talk to both these guys today on the show, both Kevin Sullivan, Bobby Fish. Uh, An exciting show. We're excited to have both guests on today. So we thank you for joining us today. Once again, please keep spreading the word about this show right here, Going Ringside. Let your friends and family know that it's out here. Wrestling groups, you cannot share it enough. We really want to keep getting the word out there and give us a follow at, at Going Ringside on both TikTok and Instagram. Where we're putting exclusive content every day. So thanks again for joining us on another episode of Going Ringside.
0: This has been Going Ringside with The Local Station, brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player on Newsport Jacks Plus, as well as the Newsport Jacks YouTube channel.